0: God I glorify Lord, we worship you, we worship you Lord Jesus we honor you Lord Jesus. We say come, 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 feel this place Lord. Holy Spirit, feel this place sit on the throne of our hearts Lord sit on the throne of our hearts Lord send your fire send your fire Lord. Take a fire! Burn are you going not like us. Take Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Baha. Glory, glory, glory. Hold Lord said he has to be worshiped. We must come and worship him in spirit and in truth. Release, he releases praises unto him. He releases unto us his presence, his anointing, his glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We come here every time to meet, to be changed, to meet with you, Lord God. Not with man, but with you, God. We come to be with you Lord, you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to you, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. We praise you. We magnify your name. Ha ha. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your fire, Lord. Burn it up, Lord. Burn it all up. Burn it up. Nothing like you, God. Nothing that's not like you has to go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Make way for the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah 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 thank you god praise you lord praise you lord hallelujah 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 you may be seated you may be seated in his presence you may be seated in his presence hallelujah let's just give the lord a wave offering let's just wave Woo. let's just acknowledge the love we have for him Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for taking us up higher in you, God. Higher heights in your glory, Lord, in your presence. Now give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us tonight. What the Spirit is saying to each of us individually tonight, here in person and those on Zoom. Kabashe, bokabaha. And anyone that hears this message after will receive the anointing that is on it that you have stamped it with Lord God. You have stamped it and sealed it with your approval. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Welcome again, everyone. Tonight's um, September 27, 2021, Tonight, the message and the uh, teaching is on the process of transformation, the process of transformation. You wanna have your Bibles ready, pen and paper, your notebook, your journals, as we begin. Transformation, it is defined as a thorough or complete process or dramatic change in form, structure or appearance or alteration at the cellular level. It's a complete process and it is dramatic. It is a change, it will change. You are changed, your form has changed, your structure has changed. Even your appearance will be changed in the way you look. It is a metamorphosis. Have you heard that word before? Metamorphosis. This happens during the life cycle of a species, the butterfly is very known to develop into a butterfly from a caterpillar. During this process metamorphosis there are other insects, though, that are changed this way, sometimes you don't even think about that we only talk about the butterfly but the moth flies yeah grasshoppers crickets dragonflies. And even cockroaches, they go through metamorphosis before they finally have developed into what they're created to be. This word, the Greek word of metamorphosis means a transformation or change in shape. So you're gonna be changed in some shape or form or fashion. Development and transition occur each time we move from one level or phase in life to another. Us humans call it developmental cycles, because we're we're definitely at a higher state than the little insects and uh, the butterfly. So these stages are called developmental cycles, phases or stages. It is the growth and maturity we experience as we grow. Now, the word, the word for the hour is change. We've been hearing it for the last three years everything's changing. We moved into a new era, a new decade. Things are changing. We are changing. The earth is changing. In 2019, we began a shift into this new decade or new era, as God will call it, or new season. That's another word for era, it's a new season. In 2020, we were in that change as the world experienced the pandemic. We also experienced a worldwide Passover. Even the Jewish people in, Jews, in, it was in Israel experienced that same Passover as a real Passover, although they celebrated every year. There was world chaos, weather changes, fires, earthquakes, storms, hurricanes, not huge numbers. But you know what? We didn't see all those numbers. We were kind of um, pacified or taken off focus when we were looking at the pandemic. We were looking at people getting sick and people dying. We were seeing all this all over the screen all the time, not only in the United States, but in other countries around the world. We also were fighting over toilet paper and paper towels. There was a shortage. We were concerned about that. A lot of people were really, really worried about that. But what about you, the church? You knows who you are. And God said, he'll meet every, he'll supply every need according to his glorious riches. Right? So there's nothing that we needed to worry about. Now we're in 2021. We're almost we are halfway through it. This is the month of September. And we are beginning to see the manifestations of this new era that rolled in in 2020. But I call it rolled in because a lot of things had to happen for it to finally transition over. Like when a mother is pregnant, she's ready to transition into delivering the baby. There was a process before they. We got there. And then you have the baby. Same thing is happening with this new era. We are beginning to start to see some of the manifestations. There's small revivals popping up throughout the country. God's glory is being released like never before, even in our small local churches, even in our homes. God is preparing his people, the end time army, for his end time move, which will manifest in revival, and the reaping of the end time harvest. The reaping of the harvest occurs when the angelic hosts come and help reap and bring them in. So we, you know, he's already ministering to all that are to come in. He's bringing them in, he's gathering them in. And we have to be ready as his army, his soldiers, on the front line to receive them. So during these stages or phases of development, and this is with a person, people like us, a person grows and develops both physically mentally and emotionally there are six common stages of development as discovered by the famous psychologist named eric erickson anyone heard of him eric erickson he wrote many many books he was everybody knows about sit sitman for freud we know about him and all the things that he done well um he was with the id and the ego and on and on about personality developments Eric took it a step further because he didn't only deal with the personality, but he dealt with the physical changes and the emotional changes that we go through. So these six stages, I'm gonna uh, say each one and then give a little bit of information for, for you about each one. And if you take child development at a college level, this is one of the key uh, textbooks that you will learn from. The first uh, level or stage is fetus, your fetus to an infant. So, you're embryo growing in your mom's womb, and then you become a baby just before you, she delivers. The second stage infants, infant to toddler. Third, toddler to child. The fourth is child to teenager. Fifth, teenager to adulthood. And then the last stage, number six, is adulthood. To old age, I, I fit in that category. Okay, so the fetus to an infant, this is the fastest change. The fastest change documented is the development of that womb, that baby in the womb, from a tiny egg. You know, the egg, the ovum, and the sperm uniting to a fully grown fetus, which happens in nine months or forty weeks. An infant to a toddler is zero. So, they're just being born, they're considered an infant, and they become a toddler when they get to age two. And that's where you get that, that statement terrible twos, because they're transitioning. They're not a toddler anymore. They want to become a child. Toddler to child is two to five, child to teenager is five to 13. That was pretty easy because we know the teens start at 13. And in between, even from five to 13, there's another one called tweens. T-W-E-E-N-S. And that's like your nine-year-olds up to uh, maybe 12. Teenager to an adult. This is the most traumatic of all. It is from 13 years old to 21 years old. There are numerous harmonial changes and body changes. These were image changes occur. This is where we get that phrase identity crisis. And then you're at, we talked about adulthood to old age, it's 21 and over. It covers our productive years to menopause and approximately 50 years old. I guess after you get to 50 years old, it's not old age anymore. I don't know what they want to call that. (laughs) But this is Erickson's descriptions. Okay, so the struggle for identity. Remember we're talking about transformation. The struggle for identity happens to all of us throughout our life cycle. Medical science informs us that the typical transition from childhood to adulthood that we experience during our teenage years is called identity crisis. I've already kind of mentioned that. I think we have identity crisis spiritually as well, not only just in the natural. So what does identity crisis mean? Identity crisis is defined as a period of intense uncertainty, difficulty, and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure. It is a turning point, keyword turning point when an important change takes place. Now I'm just gonna sit here for a minute because I'd like for us to go back to the childhood, to the teenage. There was a, there's, there's documentation that supports a child gets their image of who they are maybe by the time they're four and five. So they need some good parenting to pour into them to say, you are somebody, you have a purpose, you are important, you are this, you are that. Positive acclimation be released into that child as they're coming up as a little bitty toddler to at least pass that age of maybe five or six. And if you're doing it then, You can continue to do it then, but any outsiders outside of that that may say that, the child's not gonna believe them, okay? Because their personality and who they are, their self-image has improved. Now, remember this Eric Erickson and Child Development, this whole course is a college course, and you usually get three credits for taking this course. So I'm giving you like a minute overview of some of the, the information that I think will help us understand how God takes us spiritually into where our purpose and into that transformation of becoming uh, who he has created us to be. Another thing that I have heard, and I don't know you may have as well, that a child by the time they're nine years old have behavior set in them that will be difficult to change. I say that because I've heard that Explain to children that are what we call problem children, they said something happened to them before they became nine or around the age of nine that they just never got over and they get stuck in being a nine year old. Okay, so this identity crisis that's described by Eric erickson can be and i'm sure there's other psychologists that say it can occur in any of these developmental cycles. Okay, so don't, you know, you have to realize it, it doesn't have to happen just then. But if you can recall when you were a teenager, how many can remember <laughs> teenage years? I think we can because we know we had some traumatic things go on. Oh, we were really dealing with self-esteem. We had hormonal problems with pimples everywhere. We thought we were ugly. Boys either liked you or didn't like you. Your menstrual period maybe started. And you thought that was uk and you know you smell bad, and on and on and on. Just you know beating ourselves up, which we do now, even as an adult, believe it or not, people do. But during those teenage years, things are really changing, and it's a pivotal time for a child to get beyond that. So they need positive uh, input into their lives, uh, rather you want to call it counseling or not. A parent does coaching, not just counseling. So they need very good parenting. But it's really difficult to be a good parent if you weren't parented, because you had no role model to help you. But most children or most teenagers at this age, they begin to ask some questions. Some start sooner, because I've seen four and five and six-year-olds you know, know who they are and could tell you what they want to be in life. And that's really unusual. But they begin to ask questions like, where, uh, where did I come from? Or where are we going? Or how do we get here? Or why did God create me? You know, why am I here? And they start to ask those questions. And they start to seek answers. So then the journey begins. The pursuit to find or discover ourselves. So in the Bible, uh, our identity was determined, believe it or not, in your mother's womb. Predestination, probably before you even were put in your mother's womb. You were predetermined and sought out by God. And the scripture would be Psalm 139, verse 13. 139, 13. This was a favorite scripture that I would always teach from when I taught the youth. And we would go on youth retreats and I would build upon this scripture. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered or you weaved me, weaved me in my mother's womb. Our identity has already been preset, predetermined. Ephesians 1, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's God, Jesus. As Christians, we learn that our identity is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:17. It's one of the first scriptures I've memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been or become new. We are new. We are a new creation. We're not the same. We are we a are brand new creation. Get that in your mind. Realize that you're not the same. You're different. You look different. You are different. Just as the caterpillar is transformed or changed into a butterfly, a beautiful butterfly, so do our spirits become new. That same process. In Genesis 25, verse 19 through 33, is the story of Esau and Jacob. It is the fulfillment of prophecy, that scripture. A war against good and evil pursued. So we want to briefly talk about the two of these uh, folks, Esau and Jacob. But let's first review the genealogy of Abraham. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. This is in Genesis 25, beginning at verse 12. 25, 12. If you want to go there, I'll read. I'm going to read from, I have the King James Version. This is the... uh, We begin at verse 12, and we'll go down to 22. Now, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaiden, bare unto Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebodah, and Kedar, and Ab, Adbil, and Mish, <laughs> I love the names. And Mishamah, and Duma, and Masa, Hadar, and Tima, Jutur, Nabish, and Kedaba. These are the sons of Ishmael. Those are Ishmael's sons. And these are their names by their towns and by their castles. 12 princes according to their nations. Okay, so they had 12, 12 princes. You know, it didn't say kings, it says princes because they have little towns and princes are over little towns. You know, by by definition, a king is someone that inherits the kingdom. That's why we are king and priest. We inherit the kingdom. Verse 17, and these are the years of the life of Ishmael and hundreds. In 37 years, and he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people. He was 137. Verse 18, and they dwelt from Havilah unto Shear, that is before Egypt, as thou goest toward Asherah, and he died in the presence of all his brethren. And these are the generations of Isaac. So we just did Ishmael. And it showed that they lived, um, they dwelt in Havilah and Shur, that is before Egypt. They dwelt there before they ended up in Egypt, right? Verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethiel, the Syrian, of Panda Armon, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. So Rebekah was the sister to Laban. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. So Rebekah was barren. It's interesting because uh, I believe uh, the Jacob, Jacob's wives were barren and God had to help them have babies. So that was a pretty common thing, especially if you were touched by God. That was a miracle. In verse 22, and the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it be so, why am, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord's this verse 23, the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy vows. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Okay. So, this war is going on in her womb, Rebecca's womb. She has Isaac, uh, Esau, and Jacob. If we go back to Ishmael and Isaac, Abraham's sons, two of them. He had more. You know, he had more sons. He even um, had took another wife and had some sons by the other wife. But we're the key ones that they talk about in the Bible is Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael's name means God has heard us and He listened. The mother was Hagar, the Egyptian. The reason why his name was he, he was named Ishmael's because Sarah, Sarah really wanted a baby, and she cried out to God and. You know, she had her handmaid go into Abraham and and did not wait for anything, no miracle. She thought she was getting very old and would never, ever conceive that God was not going to open her womb. So then we get to Isaac, who was born after Ishmael. Ishmael was the oldest. Isaac means laughter. So when she finally found out she was pregnant, she laughed. She was conceived, definitely conceived, supernatural. Uh, She was 90 at the time of her pregnancy. Ishmael was the oldest, God blessed him, and he had 12 tribes who became the Ishmaelites or Arabs, Islam and Muslims. He also was an ancestor to Muhammad, So he has, uh, he has roots from that clan that consistently fights and fights and fights against the Jews, the Jewish people. Ishmael was not the chosen one. He was not chosen to bring forth, the deliverer. We know why, right? God sovereignly preserves the bloodline for Jesus to come through. He had to keep the bloodline pure, undefiled. They weren't perfect, but it wasn't defiled. Isaac, Abrams, Abraham's son by Sarah, had two sons. And now my notes are going up too far. We'll go back up. Wanted to um, From there, we'll put that to the side. We'll go back to talk about Jacob and Esau in a second here. Uh, so Isaac's son, Abraham, Isaac, Abraham's son by Sarah, and had, he had two sons. In Genesis 25, it was Esau and Jacob. And we just, we just read that and how they struggled in Rebecca's womb and they struggled for identity. They struggled, they fought the Greek meaning for struggle means to fight. They were fighting actually in her womb. Then in verse 23, the prophecy goes forth. If you read 23 again, it said that there were two nations in your womb. That's what God had told her. And he he said, one of the people shall be stronger than the other people, right? And then the elder shall serve the younger. The elder is the oldest. The first one born out of Rebekah's womb was Esau. He was the older. So it was already prophesied that Jacob was going to be the chosen one because of the bloodline, purity of the bloodline. See how God does to the beginning from the end? Like he he would do that for us too, right? Okay. Their identity and destinies were already set before their birth. They were going in that womb, in their mother's womb, they were going through this transformation process. Because it's almost like if Esau came out first, Jacob was grabbing his heel or pushing his heel or doing something in the womb, but the elder is to serve the younger. The Hebrew, in Hebrew, your name, in your name, in Hebrew, your name has four pillars. It means it has four meanings. It has four things that it's supposed to do or produce. There's, and I'll say what they are and I'm gonna explain each one. Nature, it, it's, this is how you understand your assignment in earth and who you are, these four pillars it means you have an understanding of, you You will understand your nature, your destiny, your function, and your dominion. Your name should give you an answer to all four of those. Your nature, destiny, function, dominion. Nature, what is nature? Okay, nature. I think I I go up too far. I get excited that I hit the wrong button. Sorry, you guys. I went backwards. And I want to make sure I give it correctly here. Uh, hold on, Sheila. I can't understand what that noise there. Nature. It's the basic or inherent features of something. So nature, naturally, Sheila, you're a female, or you're you're born a girl. That's your nature. Okay, that is nature. It's a characteristic of, of a thing. You're either male or female, and it can include your character and personality. Some people are, when well, they say soft-spoken. Some people are quiet. Some people are loud. Some people are giddy. You know, it's just your, pers- it's your personality. It's the nature of who you are. And some of those traits, you can't control them because they come, you know, through the bloodline from our family. The second pillar, destiny. The events that will necessarily happen to a person or thing. So it's what you were destined to do. It's your future. It's God's will for your life. That was is what destiny is. That too predetermined. It's divine, it's divine decree. God decreed you into existence. He spoke you into existence, whether you know it or not, with his the breath. You know, he spoke you into existence. Our destiny is in our identity. Our destiny is in who we are. The third pillar, function. The purpose and uh, natural to or intended for a person or thing is the function. So it's like, what is the purpose for that thing? What is your natural purpose? Well, we know for females, we're pro well, males are supposed to procreate too because you've got to have both the male and the female in order to have children. So, we, but we do know that's one of our purposes, right? Purpose is fulfilled upon the accomplishment of a series of assignments, things that you go through. He says, Well, you I want you to live in a certain place. I want you to go to a certain school. I want you to marry a certain person. These are assignments, these are situations that God puts you in and you develop in those situations and you function in those situations. So your purpose can evolve, okay? You can't evolve as a mother if you don't have a child, so you can't become a mother. I couldn't evolve as, I couldn't become a nurse if I didn't go to nursing school. But before I even went to nursing school, I had to know I had some compassion within me and sympathy in me, empathy in me, and a desire to work around people who are sick. and needed help. Your purpose guides you. And that's how you know what your function is. It is a process. It's like taking an onion and peeling your onion and it's peeling the layers off and you discover. You're going to discover your destiny or you're going to discover your purpose, what you were destined to do and to be. And then that last one, dominion. That's a good one. Your divine God-given rule. This is what dominion means. It is your God-given rule, divinely from God. It's sovereign, it's sovereign, it's it's a control, it's the control that you get, it's your sovereignty and your control you get in the earth realm, not only in the earth realm, but in the spirit realm. Okay, it's your divine authority and your dominion on what you're gonna do and how you're going to accomplish it. But you can't get there until all these other things fall in place, okay? All of this occurs through a process of what we're calling, what I'm calling a transformation because you're changed. And once you get, once that change kicks in, you got to get on the train and stay with it. So let's look at the meaning of names. We talked about the meaning of Ishmael's name. We talked about the meaning of Isaac's name. Do you know the meaning of your name? If you don't, you should. Research and find out what the meaning of your name is. It is key to knowing what God created you to do and to be. You may think that your mom or your dad or your whoever, aunt or somebody else may help name you was something they pulled out of the air or they created, they made it up <laughs> or what have you. But I am under the belief that God is in everything and he was a part of what's your name. And most people's names, if you will look up what their names mean spiritually and say it to them, that is they answer to that. They actually kind of glamor to it. It draws them. Your dominion is related to your name. So if you know what the name of your, what you mean of your name is, you're already seeing what your purpose and your function should be in the earth and your dominion in the earth. And if not, keep digging, you'll find out, okay? I'm gonna say real quickly, my name has a double meaning because I have my first name and my middle name. They both have the same meaning. And it means, because uh, it comes from Mary, blessed one with spiritual awareness. Spiritual awareness means perception, spiritual perception. And so I, one of the gifts that really operates strongly in, in my life is this, the spirit of discerning the spirits. It's the main one that the enemy fights me against too, to learn to really flow more effectively and efficiently in that gifting. Okay. So that's kind of like what a name, uh, knowing your name will do for you. We know the story of Esau and Jacob. Remember, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And in doing so, Jacob received the blessing of the firstborn. He was going to get it anyway, right? Because he was predetermined. We know that. They were the two nations mentioned in Genesis 25, verses 23. Esau, verses 25, was, is the father of the Edomites. So both of their destinies were predetermined, talking both about Jacob and Esau. Esau, he he is the father of the Edomites. And when you look and dig in more deeply, you'll find out that it's like the Hittites and some of the others, Amorites, the Moabs, Canaanites, all the ites, as they say. The father came down the street, but the, the bloodline was Esau, which are the Arabs. Arabs who you know, are Muslims. And of course, we, they believe in Muhammad. Muhammad was their, their prop, prophet that's supposed to return, not Jesus. And they have their own Bible, their own beliefs and their own rituals that they go through. And then there's Jacob, that was in verse 26. I meant to say Esau's name means Harry. When he came out, he was very red, and Harry. And, and, and for whatever reason, and I saw this, and me and Philip were talking about it earlier today, um, some say, some scholars are saying, or people who study you know, the word scholars say that the white Caucasian generation or people group came through Esau's line but I have no proof and cannot, I don't understand that. It's just because of this readiness of him. So through the skin, you could see the readiness or the the blood flow. But the main thing, he was very hairy. That was the biggest thing for him. And so that's why his name means hairy. Esau, Jacob, his name, he's the father of the Jewish people or the Israelites. His name means supplanter or deceitful. One who takes the heel, he takes the heel snatches the heel of Esau. Thank God he let go. Esau was stronger than him and came out first. So Jewish, the meaning of Jewish is everything related to the culture and the religion of God's chosen people. That is not their race. That's their religion and their culture. Okay, but people call them Jews, but that's really not accurate. They are Hebrews. Hebrew is also the name of their language. The Edomites, they were slaves to the Israelites. And these two families to this day fight. Fight to see who's going to be the stronger or the weaker. We know Esau is supposed to be the stronger, and they're supposed to serve the younger but, you know, that's a whole nother discussion on prophecy. God's word or his prophecy, the word of the Lord, does not and will not return to him void, but accomplish what he purposed it to do and to who it is it was sent to. And that's Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So when he prophesied in verse 23, 25, my pages are turning because there's a fan. Chapter, Genesis 25, 23, that was a prophetic word. And that prophetic word will come to pass and, and still is evolving and coming to pass to this day. Hebrews 4, 12 says, for the word is of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Wow, hallelujah. Thank God for God's word, because his word is what changes us. His word is light, it is life, it is truth. Praise the Lord. And our words can be the same. So we need to be very careful about our mouths and what we say and who we say things to. Now in the birth canal, we know in the birth canal is very tight. It's a narrow space that the fetus must slowly move through and it's monitored closely, very closely. And it's a struggle because the baby's trying to get out and the mama's trying to push the baby out. And so they're both struggling, (laughs) but it has to be monitored and managed, the birth process. It requires much pushing, much focus, much effort and pressure, but controlled. If there's, if it's off in any way, we could have a problem an issue with the baby or the mother. You could lose the baby or you can lose the mother. It's really a life-threatening uh, situation when things happen. Requires close monitoring to ensure successful delivery. Our struggle is between good and evil. So the flesh, which is our old sin nature, we war against the spirit, our new nature, which is the real us, the real you. In 2 Chronicles 20 verse 15, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15, the Bible says, the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's because it is a spiritual battle for our souls. Holy Spirit is the one who is causing and producing the change. He is in control. He is the change agent. We must yield to him. We must yield to his spirit and his dealings with us. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we have a responsibility to yield and go to the process of sanctification for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In Genesis 27, I'm not going to read that whole chapter, but highlight a few things. Jacob, with his mother, Rebecca's assistance, he tricked Isaac into giving the blessing of the firstborn to Jacob. Okay. And of course, then, you know, Isaac was getting really old and couldn't see and on and on. So we're going to discuss the, the transformation of Jacob. In Genesis 27, 42... Esau told Rebekah he was going to kill Jacob after he stole the birthright. So he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. So in Genesis 28, verse 6, Jacob was told by, Jake, by Isaac to leave and to go to a pandem Aram. We said that word before because it's, um, it's where Laban lives, to find a wife. And he charged him not to marry. Don't you dare marry. A Canaanite. Why? To keep the bloodline undefiled. To keep the bloodline pure. In verse seven, Esau takes a wife. This is still Genesis 28. So you want to go back and kind of read those chapters together. And then they'll make a lot of sense to you. In verse seven, Esau takes, he took a wife. Esau, this is about Esau, it's not Isaac. Esau took a wife from Canaan and other pagan tribes. Why? He he despised his father. He knew his father didn't like it because his father told Isaac not to do it. So he's doing just the opposite. He's really still pretty bitter about what had happened. You can read later in, in Genesis 36 about the full genealogy of Esau. Okay, so back to Jacob. God first speaks to Jacob in a dream. In Genesis 28, verses 10 through 21. Genesis 28, verse, verses 10 through 21. I know this is a little different than some of the other prophetic teaching classes we have or gatherings, but this is really teaching. It's not, um, it's not so much, uh, I don't know, impartation. Although you're, you're receiving, I'm sure, something, because I am not responsible. I'm just going to deliver. Genesis 28, and I'll begin in my translation as King James, verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took up the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending going up, then coming back down and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Jacob, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Very similar to Abraham's word and verse 15 and behold I am with thee and I will keep thee in all places whether thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of and Jacob awakened out of his sleep and he said surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not and he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Wow. Can you imagine? I think I might have said the same thing. <laughs> Verse 18 And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the 10th unto thee. The 10th meaning his tithe. He would tithe on everything that God had blessed him with. When you say that's destiny, that was destiny. So we see the same bloodline that God is tracking and guiding. In Haran, Jacob served his relative Laban and asked for Rachel in exchange for seven years labor. Laban tricked him though and gave him Leah saying it was against their beliefs to give the younger before the firstborn. So he gave him another week or seven years. Quick plug, in November, Every Monday night, we're going to talk about the feast of the Lord, not of Israel, not of the Jews. They're the Lord's feast. There's seven, the major seven are we going to talk about that we too, as newborn, newborn or born again, Christians should also be celebrating, experiencing. And so one of the areas we talk about is Daniel and the 70 uh, days or 70 weeks this is saying here in the word it says, so he gave him another week, that week means seven years, and he married Rachel. So in Genesis 30, chapter 30, Jacob had several sons by Leah and her handmaid, and Rachel, Rachel's handmaid, not Rachel, because Rachel was barren, 12 sons and one daughter. And God spoke to Jacob supernaturally in dreams and visions and angelic visitations and very, very supernatural was his encounters with God. And so that too is something that could still happen today. It does happen today. I know it. I should be embracing it more and it should be happening for me. And I'm going to get stronger and stronger as God continues to deal with me on that matter. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And you too, as well. Amen. So another encounter for Jacob as he's being transformed, these are transformations that he's going through, will be in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32. So we jumped along. I was just kind of giving you certain pieces to catch you up, but you go back and read maybe 24 all the way up to 32. Those chapters, especially in chapter 28 and chapter 30, 31, 32. Genesis 32 is Jacob's wrestling match with a man. And he's not called the angel of the Lord. In the Bible, in the word, it says a man. But you know, when angels manifest themselves in, in the natural, they come and they look like men, they look like us. Now they're spirit beings. So in the spirit, they will be spirit beings. So if God opens your eyes to them to see, you will see them more as a spirit, being, and not necessarily a man, but they will have form and they will have shape. And they speak. And I don't think that they're, you know, gory looking like demons are. I've seen a few of those too. So let's begin in 24. And I'm going to read, I think I took this out of the message No, I didn't. I'm not for sure what what version this is. I'm just going to read it. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he, the man, touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. (laughs) He had had an advantage over (laughs) Jacob. Then he said, the man or angel, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. I'm sure he already knew what his name was. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven." striven, striving with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Pinel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Wow. Verse 31 now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel and he was leaping, limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sunni of the hip, the joint in the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sunni of the hip. So what can we learn from Jacob's encounter with God? about identity and destiny. In, of course, verse 24, Jacob either wrestled with an angel, because it was a supernatural being, or some some believe he wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ. In 25, he crippled him supernaturally. He touched it into the socket just like the angel had took the coal in uh, Isaiah and put it on his tongue. He, he did something to him to, I don't know, distract him or to get an advantage. Not for sure what the purpose was, but he was like that the rest of his life. And it was pretty impacting for all the, um, the Jewish people, Israelites. So why did God cripple him? What did it have to do with transformation, receiving his new name and the blessing? In verse 26, and the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. I will not let you go, Jacob replied, unless you bless me. Even though Jacob was crippled, he refused to let the angel or the pre-incarnate Christ go until he was blessed. If we go down to Verse 28, he says, no longer will your name be Jacob, the man told him, but Israel, because you have fought with God and with man, and you have prevailed. Jacob represents his old nature or our old nature. Israel represents the new nature, the new man. His destiny and his purpose was revealed. He gave him a new name, the new name Israel. What does Israel mean? We already heard that it meant he ruled, God strives, another man of Jacob and his descendants. It's another name for Jacob, which means God strives. But also it's, for, it's, it's descendants that come out of him. It means the same thing. That God is going, he strived with them. And it, it, it was a wheel, it was a will thing. The proper name of Israel means he will rule with God. So if you were to look up in the Hebrew, the meaning, the proper name or meaning, it means he will rule with God. So God will stay true to the personal name in which he gave to Israel. He told Israel that they were his chosen people. So that's what that means. They're going to rule with him, especially in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. This name Israel is a compound account comp- has two compound roots, Hebrew roots. The first Hebrew root is sar, s a r. Sar means prince. It means one who rules. The second, the second root is el, What is l? God, God, Elohim. El means God. So when you put them both together. It means he will rule with God. Israel will rule with God. Israel is God's chosen people. So in verse 29, then Jacob asked, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? The man replied. Then he, he blessed Jacob there. So he, did, he never did tell him his name, did he? Nope. But he had to be of some divinity if he was able to bless it, okay? Peniel also meant face-to-face with God, and that's what he named that place when he had that encounter. So maybe you should name places where you've encounters with God. I'm sure there are open portals there in those places. To is to struggle or compete forcefully for something or with someone. It is exerting one, one person's will, over the other person's will. So the angel or the man was trying to exert his will over Jacob. But Jacob was exerting his will over the angel. And who won? Jacob. He won. Just as Jacob had to wrestle with God, we too will wrestle with God. This happens when we encounter him. And he... Um, He saves us. He saves our souls. So you were encountered by God when you got your salvation. It didn't just happen. You just didn't decide, I'm going to walk. I'm going to be a believer now. It was supernatural. It was in God's timing. God confronts us to break our will. We have to submit our will to his will. So see how Jacob had that angel submit his will to his will. (laughs) Same thing with God. We have to submit to God's will, his love and his grace for our lives. And when we do, we are, we to be, we are going to be delivered, set free, receive salvation, all the benefits of salvation and being delivered. Mercy, grace, power, anointing, walking in our, our grace, and our anointing and our gifting and our purpose and our destiny. Jacob exerted his will over the angelic being or pre-incarnate Christ so much so that he received the blessing he so desperately wanted. It was not a physical strength that he used to fight with. It was spiritually, it was spirituality. He willed to receive the blessing, the tangible goodness of God by faith. He had strong faith, supernatural faith. So, so, so powerful. Have you ever gone after something you desperately wanted? to such an extreme degree that no matter what, you were, go- you were not giving up until you got it. You were not gonna give up. I'm not gonna leave until you bless me. That is what Jacob did. He was in a fight for his life. In Ephesians 6:12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy, Defeats us because we do not know who we are. We sometimes are out of position. We are not in our position in Christ Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning from that position. We are in a battle. We are in a war. It's a real war. It's a fight. It's a fight for your soul. This is not a skirmish. a skirmish, you know. This is real war. And the devil don't fight. Fair. And it is not over in a war or a battle until somebody wins. What is it? What is it truly you're fighting with? It's your flesh. It is our flesh. Once we are born again, the battle, the struggle begins. We go back and forth on the cross, back and forth. (laughs) I die go back die go back some people say pick up your cross die daily you got to go through it daily some people take communion daily to help them be able to to be uh, to receive the power from from the holy spirit i love the scripture where paul says in galatians 3 1 and 2 galatians 3 1 and 2 and this is the message i took it from the message bible version so it's gonna sound a little different you crazy galatians Did someone put a spell on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? Is it not yet a total loss? But it certainly will be if you keep this up. And then he says in verse 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us from the self-defeating cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And now, because of that, the air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews, too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit, in and with us by believing just the way Abraham received it. So Jacob wrestling with the angel and he was transformed like the butterfly and he was a new person he became israel god changed his name which is tied to who he is and his destiny his purpose what he was created for and created to do so what 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 does your name mean where when what was the place where you encountered god has God given you a new name? Um, before closing, and I'm almost done, I, I have been through some things that were very interesting, but one of the things I remember um, when I felt like my spirit was becoming one in one with God and united in one. It was like an internal t- turning and twisting and very, very spiritual. Kind of a little bit scary because I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> it's like my inside and something was in my insides, turning me inside out. And then I just, and it was just all I could remember is all the, not so much moans as it was, you know, ah, ah, you know, you just, <laughs> I'm just kind of responding in flesh to what, what was happening. And then it kind of let up, but it was a heavy, I could not, nowhere else in my body could I move my physical flesh when that was happening. But, you know, after that encounter, I wanted to, I was really pursuing the Holy Spirit and the Lord to find out really what it was to explain it to me. And more and more, it took time, but I eventually learned it was this oneness that we have to come in, in him, when he really comes in and changes you to that, almost that completeness that we look for so that we can really, you know, fly like a butterfly. And then I asked, okay, Lord, what is this deal about changing names? Did you... do I have a new name? Did you change me? Did you change my name? I know you called me the apple of your eye here and there, you know, just in, in, in communion with one another. But you know, I did, I never had this a name change. But then, you know, I don't know where he called me and he said, X Factor. I said, X Factor. What is that? That was my new name. My new name is X Factor spiritually it's a spiritual name or change and then i wanted to know what x factor really meant too cuz i did i did look it up and i'm just going to give you a little bit of what it says uh the meaning of the idiom x factor is an un- unidentifiable or ineffable n e i n e f f a b l e ineffable Is that it pronounced that way in not inviolable, but maybe ineffable quality that makes someone very special a variable in a situation that will have major and often unpredictable consequences or influence so i'm his ex-factor so i'm available lord to be used as your X factor in any way you want to use me lord and that's just the way I, I walk out my, my daily uh, call with him as I continue to evolve as we all all are. We never have arisen. We're always learning and growing in God. So where, where was your encounter? Will you have an encounter? Are you still looking for it? And you know you have more than one. As you go, from glory to glory to glory to glory, it's another level and another phase and another dimension in that spiritual realm. And you learn and you have encounters and he opens up more to you. He reveals things to you. You become who it is that he has created you to be. You'll walk, you're going to walk, not only walk the walk, you're going to talk the talk because you'll have fruit, you'll develop fruit in that gift, in that area. Your your tongue and your language can change. The anointing on your life will surely change and those who you impact. So the spirit, in closing, the spirit wars against the flesh. Breaking our will to have God's will. Molding us in to what he created us to be. He must break us like he broke Jacob's thigh. Change us into his likeness. Jacob wrestled with himself. Sometimes that's what we do. We wrestle with ourselves. We think we're wrestling with God. His identity in uh, Christ, you wrestle with your identity in Christ. You have, to, you have to mirror your identity in Christ. You have to see and, and identify with Christ and his sufferings. That's what, the, that's what communion is, the communion that we take. Do not let the issues of life change your identity and who you are. What do I mean by that? Because there are some situations you go through that are going to change you, but it's not gonna change your identity. It you change your fortitude, you change your strength, you change your backbone. It changes you and your ability to move forward, give you more uh, courage a strength, an ability, desire to move forward, desire to, more, to want more of God. Do not let the issues change you. Do not let people or issues define you. Don't let someone define you. Don't let someone label you or give you a new name. Let it all be through the Spirit. No one can call you. Only the Holy Spirit can call you. No man can call you. I remember people used to say, well, how, am I a prophet? How do I know if I'm a prophet? <laughs> that was always a common question for people. And I think that's why I do what I do here with my calling, is to help people identify where they are, where they belong in the, in the body of Christ and help them grow in that and accept it and embrace who they are. But if you have to ask, that means you haven't had that encounter. If you have to ask, he hasn't called you yet. And he may he may call you and he may not call you because there's other things in you that you already know. If you have to ask, then more than likely you're not because you don't know. That was always the common uh, answer, at least at least for me. We wrestle. We wrestle with our identity, struggling to find out who we are and what our purpose is. And God says he made us as kings and priests, the head and not the tail, the righteousness in Christ Jesus. We are the elect. We are the elect, amen? In order to be a king, you inherit into kingship. You inherit it. You inherit it and you receive it as an inheritance. What is the thing you're wrestling with? Is it sin? Is it an addiction? How about self-esteem? Is it holding you back from your breakthrough in God or discovering your calling? You know, the flesh is as flesh does, Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. That means your mind is not changed. It's not, you don't have the mind of Christ. Your mind is on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The concern of the flesh is death, but the concern of the spirit is life and peace. The flesh is intent on things of this world, upon gratifying his own passions and desires. So why does your flesh want to maintain control of your decisions, control of your life? You must renew your mind. We must renew our minds. It wants to control you because it it wants to win you over. Remember the battle between the soul, life and death. After Jacob defeated the angel, he was blessed. And he was no longer the old man with the sin nature. He knew who he was. He received his new name, Israel. He was successful. He was triumphant. But how do we defeat the sin nature and become godly nature? We must face our enemies. Those things buried deep in our unconscious souls. They are there hiding, waiting for us to feed it with our attention, entertain it with our thoughts and subconscious minds. That's the part of your mind that you're not fully aware of, subconscious. It's probably more active when you're sleeping. That's when God is in your dreams. But you're not aware of it. But in that unconscious mind, it influences your actions and your feelings. And you don't think it. You realize, oh, it's just me. God wants to deliver you from every demonic force holding you back from moving forward in your walk and relationship with him. He said he will supernaturally pull it up by its roots, never to return. Stop watering it and let the rain of my spirit cover and heal you. You will be clean. You will be an overcomer and men will rise up and call you blessed. Amen. Amen. As we said earlier, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. So the last thing I'm going to do is read this word of the Lord. I forgot when I got this one, but I'm going to read it real quick. I usually post them on my website too if you guys want to go back and look at any of them. Um, it begins with John 15, John chapter 15, verse 16, NIV. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You have been set apart to do the work of the kingdom on the earth, so get moving. Now is the time to wear the mantle God has given you with confidence. Remember, a mantle is a covering. You wear it like clothing. It is distinguished by your natural gifts and your spiritual gifts, and it makes the gifts and callings God has on your life visible to both the spirit and natural rims. In other words, the spirit rim sees the power you carry and bows to God in you. Your mantle does not, your mantle, I went up too far, does not leave you. When people recognize your mantle, it helps them respond to you. They see Christ in and on you. They see a crown, a robe, and a breastplate of righteousness. They can see that you carry his righteousness, his majesty and his splendor. Did you know that God gave you natural gifts, a specific DNA and the best personality at birth to accomplish your mission? Did you know that you have a deposit of Holy Spirit inside of you, which manifests in the spiritual gifts? When, I went up too far, sorry. Manifesity. okay when you carry uh-oh sorry you guys i lost my place here the dna and the... okay when you uh, come on down come on when you No, when these two combine meaning your spiritual gifts and your natural gifts you will contribute greatly to bringing forth the kingdom of god on the earth To operate your mantle, you need to know where your power source comes from. The heavenly rims are full of God's majesty, glory, splendor, and prosperity. Because you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, your mantle exudes or oozes forth heavenly foundations, which empower your mantle to operate on the earth in full authority. When you carry God's splendor and majesty, you are stepping out in dunamis power, the miracle working power of God and exusio power his delegated authority so you not only have the power you also have the authority to use the power this is the dominion of life remember we talked about dominion and your name which will cause your mantle to be a huge blessing in both the supernatural and natural realms the future has already been written you are walking it out here on earth you are bringing forth the prosperity of the king his splendor and majesty will be released into your every situation that you walk through let me say this again you have been set apart chosen anointed and appointed to operate in your mantle on the earth amen amen let's pray father hallelujah we thank you lord for the gifts and the calling are without repentance god We thank you, Lord God, for every heartless here, Lord God, that receives your word, Father. We thank you that it falls on fertile ground and takes root, and that they grow, Father, in you, in oneness in you, in a hunger and desire to be like you. Lord, we love you, we love you, we embrace you. We receive all that you have for us, Lord God. Thank you for continuing to let us be like little children priming up on your lap, hugging on you, loving on you, and you releasing your love unto us. We thank you, Lord, that we can call you Daddy God. And we thank you tonight for everything that you've done. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.